Hey everyone, you're listening to Spark, where we amplify the voices of the Middle East startup, tech, and innovation ecosystem. I'm your host, Shireen, and along with our guests, we share with you expert insights on the latest and most relevant news. Our goal is to help you easily digest trending topics and be better equipped to know what to make of it all. Hey listeners, Today's episode is going to be one focused on the Saudi Arabian market. And that's because last week, the central bank had so many announcements that were all very forward thinking when it comes to fintech and innovation that I thought, you know what, let's do a recap of all the updates as well as do a deep dive on the market, particularly because it's a very sensitive, let's say, work culture there. And I wanted everyone to be aware of how to approach the market, whether you come from the region or you're based internationally and looking to expand in MENA. So just to give you a bit of context, the financial regulator in KSA traditionally has been pretty conservative, especially compared to its neighbors, Bahrain and the UAE. But last year alone, it granted a few licenses in the fintech space that its neighbors do not yet quite regulate. First and foremost, micro-lending. Micro-lending is effectively a small loan that a fintech company would lend to someone who wouldn't ordinarily be able to obtain a line of credit from a bank. Because of the risk profile, this this type of activity tends to be pretty risky and therefore most regulators don't allow it. But lo and behold, KSA gave its first micro lending license last week. Other areas of fintech that Sama has recently regulated also include crowdfunding and robo-advisory. The regulator also provided a license for a telecommunication company, Virgin Mobile, so that its customers are able to have payments and remittances at their fingertips. And most importantly, the biggest news of them all, the regulator finally announced its opinion on open banking. Now, open banking is something that is embraced in some markets, such as the UK, yet not quite so embraced in still other Western economies, such as the US. It is effectively when the regulator mandates all banks to expose their APIs. Now, why would they do that? It's because other companies can benefit by plugging in and accessing their data through these APIs. And the type of companies that would like to do so tend to be fintech companies because they then have their add-on products that they sell to customers. Now, within the GCC, the Bahrain Central Bank had allowed open banking, but no one knew where the other regulators stood as of yet. Rumor had it that the UAE regulators would soon permit open banking, but it looks like KSA beat them in terms of timelines. Bahrain was also the first country in the GCC to regulate crypto. Just this week, crypto startup Rain announced a rather substantial funding round, indicating that investors, as well as inspiring entrepreneurs, see a potential in crypto within regulated countries in the GCC. Now, why does KSA even matter? It is by far the largest consumer market in the GCC. And that's natural because it's the largest in terms of geographical space as well as population. And so naturally, any startup that wants to become a unicorn, and let's face it, who doesn't, will need to access the KSA market at some point or another. So in today's episode, we dig deep into the preferred language of communication in KSA, as well as how to communicate in KSA, the mannerisms to adapt, any gender biases that may or may not still exist, as well as the entrepreneur dynamic so that you know what type of a persona to expect when doing business in KSA. And with me on the show to talk about this topic is Nouf Al-Harthi. Nouf works for Munshaat, which is the SME authority in KSA. She's an enabler, therefore, in the ecosystem and works very closely, not with other ecosystem players, but also entrepreneurs in order to assess what it is they need in the market and to make sure that it is provided to them. 
Now, before we move on to today's episode, a quick note on global funding numbers when it comes to the VC and startup world. Crunchbase announced that last year, $300 billion was invested by VCs in startups. That is 4% increase compared to the year before. And in the Middle East, Magnet announced that MENA funding was at $1 billion for the year 2020. Now, though these numbers are higher on a global and MENA scale compared to last year, it's worth noting that though the total number is increased, actually the number of deals has reduced. Now, what that means is that the funding per deal increased, as opposed to there simply being more investment in terms of absolute numbers in the startup world. And in MENA, we found that the investments were being made in later stage companies, as opposed to those who were at pre-seed and seed level. Now, this is a natural reflection of risk appetite of investors, given that there was a pandemic last year. But hopefully it's nevertheless a sign that the world believes in startups and the future of them driving innovation all around the world, which is only something positive to look forward to in 2021. Now, moving on to today's episode, I really hope you enjoy the topic and let's jump straight to it. Nof, thank you very much for agreeing to be a guest. You are by far to me a very, very special guest today. And for the listeners who don't know, Nof and I actually work together on a project. Uh, we were involved in the first fintech accelerator in KSA last year. Uh, Nof has since become a friend and actually she was, I think, one of the first fans of Spark. <laughs> Nof, I remember the minute I launched it, uh, you were one of the first people to send lovely comments my way. And in fact, in fact, you even submitted a Patreon donation. So Nof, thank you very much. You're a dear friend to me, as well as a true number one fan of Spark. Welcome on the show. Hi, Shireen. Thank you for having me. I mean, uh, I've learned a great deal from you and I'm still learning. It was an honor working with you on the previous project. Nof, you, of course, work for the SME Authority in KSA. Would you mind telling the audience a little bit about your role at Munshaat, what it is that you do and how through that role you help champion entrepreneurship in the kingdom? Sure. The General Authority of Small and Medium Enterprises uh, was established back in 2016. Our main, or let's say, essence is to help startups, small and medium enterprises, to enable them through programs, mentoring, consulting. We're enabling startups, uh, entrepreneur, uh, entrepreneurship, as one of the pillars uh, in 2013. That's a very common approach with the other countries in the Gulf, of course. Laban, UAE the same, Bahrain the same. For some reason, fintech, I would say, is the darling of the Middle East. All these uh, countries in the GCC seem to be offering something very, very special for fintech companies. But I believe, and I'm sure Munshat also believes, that um, entrepreneurship can be encouraged across all industries. Yeah, definitely. No, if I must say... Even though a lot of foreign talent may first be drawn to Dubai and the UAE to set up their businesses, very often they come and they realize we cannot become billion dollar unicorn fintechs by operating in the UAE alone. We have to access KSA. KSA seems to be the golden ticket, the golden market for any firm who wants to be a million dollar tech company to enter. So you actually sit in the, I would say, prime consumer market 
Therefore, I thought it would be very interesting to have an episode that was dedicated about understanding the market so that any entrepreneur listening to this episode in the Middle East can know how to do business in KSA. So with that, let's start with the elephant in the room, language barrier. No, if I must say when we worked together last year, I thought to myself, the youth speak English. I don't need to deliver anything in Arabic. Lo and behold, I landed. And that was not the case. I found that the youth in KSA are comfortable speaking Arabic. They want to communicate in Arabic. When people take your WhatsApp to chat to you and follow up with you on business, they message you in Arabic. So maybe you can tell us a little bit about the ways of doing business in KSA in terms of language preferences, method of communication preferences, and so on? Definitely. Uh, I mean, yes, um, Arabic is the official uh, language here in Saudi Arabia. And uh, regardless of the delicate spoken, yet English is, is widely used because it is the second language, let's say the compulsory second language in schools. And they also use it in businesses too. I mean, Saudis are exposed now to foreigners, uh, even they're seeking expansion, but mostly they they do understand, but they prefer Arabic instead. Mm. I found that very weird, of course, because so the UE aside, it's it's a very unique market because it's mostly expatriates. I'm Bahraini, you know, and like growing up in Bahrain, which is still majority Bahraini, majority locals, you can live in the country as a Bahraini and do business not speaking a word of Arabic. Everything is always available in English, whereas I find that in KSA, you better produce marketing material in Arabic. Why do you think that the youth are so, or not even the youth, let's say, in the context of business, you need to pr- still produce things in Arabic? Why are people still so attached to the language? And do you see this changing? Do you see that maybe the younger generations have a different preference? So let's say younger than us millennials, maybe Gen Y, Gen Z. No, they use English most of the time. You can see the YouTubers now, most of them are from Saudi Arabia. Interesting. I want to pick on something. WhatsApp. WhatsApp seems to be the way people like doing business. My point of view is I do everything on email. I find WhatsApp to be very, very informal. And especially when it comes to doing business, I always say, please email me. I wake up in the morning, your message is in my inbox. I'll respond to it in a timely manner. But why is it that WhatsApp is the preferred way of doing business? It's easier, uh, quicker. Uh, People um, needs the, the answer in a blink of an eye. So, uh, yeah, I think they, they believe that email is more professional and uh, it will take longer time to receive a reply or a response. But mainly they use email for professional uh, usage. Hmm. I think, Nof, you were one of the first people whom I allowed to WhatsApp me for work. Really? Before I started working with you, whenever people would WhatsApp me, I would reply in a manner that I thought was polite. And I'd say, Hey, I hope you don't mind. Uh, I use WhatsApp for personal reasons or for, you know, personal communication let's email. And then I started realizing that more and more people would just ask for my number and WhatsApp me. And it seemed that amongst Saudis, it's okay to share your mobile number amongst each other and say, yeah, yeah, just WhatsApp Shireen, WhatsApp Shireen. Whereas in Dubai, I don't even share someone's email without first reaching out to that person and saying, hey, so-and-so wants a referral. Do you mind if I introduce you on email? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, yeah, maybe, maybe uh, because um, most of the people nowadays have two numbers, let's say they have their personal number and work number. 
I do too, by the way, but you, you have my both numbers. So, um, I ended up doing that as well, actually. Once too many people from Saudi Arabia had my mobile and were WhatsApping yeah. me, I thought, no, no, I need a separate personal number. I know if you have both of them, you have both those numbers too. Yeah. <laughs> Very interesting. Uh, so I'll tell you something, Nof. Um, we work with a lot of um, startups who come from all over the world. Particularly during COVID, I've I've had to explain to them that, listen, the Middle East is a very medjlis culture. You need to meet the person you're doing business with in person in a not so formal manner, build a relationship and then make a pitch. So as restrictions have been easing in the UAE, I've been trying to encourage the startups in a program to fly in, have some FaceTime and use that as a way to do business. And it's funny that, you know, in the UAE still, you know, the majority of people in the workplace are non-Arab, but the measures culture is there. Now in a place like KSA, where the majority of business people are Arab and they're Khaliji, Saudiin, I'm curious, how much more prevalent is that measures culture? And is it required as a first step to doing business or not? For example, in Sharqiyya or uh, in Eastern Province, uh, we have something called Majlis Shabab Al-A'mal or let's say Youth Council, I think. Mm-hmm. It's not a literal majlis, but it's a cultural thing. That means a meeting or having, a, 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 let's say, a meetup uh, with, with youth to discuss business, to discuss life, to discuss anything that is related to the community. So I think because nowadays we have like the meetups, youth meet at co-working spaces, they host meetups, events, even at Munshaat, we, we hosted the number of expos, it's called Biban uh, Expo. It's a major event that happened in or took place in, in, in uh, several cities in the kingdom. The main purpose of it to, to uh, enhance the entrepreneurship, uh, let's say, ecosystem to raise the awareness, to help people, to call them, to see what they have. So I think having the word majlis uh, can be um, general, but, uh, but we can do it like in, in meetups and expos. Mm. Um, so the word is being used interchangeably is uh, what I'm hearing, correct? Uh, to mean yes. meetup or yes. meeting or what about the spirit of the majlis, which is forming a relationship before proposing business. Is that the way to do business in KSA or do you think that the youth are more uh, straight to the point and would rather you not kind of spend time talking about the weather? It depends. I mean, um, people, most people are easygoing when it comes to sharing their ideas. Some might have some issues uh, sharing them. Uh, They're afraid of losing the ideas to someone else. I mean, it's important to know the people and the the, uh, the one who uh, you're going to do business with. Okay, so moving on to meeting etiquette. In the UAE, I would say, generally speaking, the business world is still pretty formal. Now, given that I work for a startup hub and startups are meant to be, are meant to adapt to more casual demeanor, I purposely try to adopt a casual approach to business. Meaning, for example... I never address people as dear anymore. I always start my emails with hi or hello, or if I'm feeling extra friendly, hey. And I encourage all my team members to adopt the same type of attitude when it comes to doing work. 
Now, I'm curious for the tech entrepreneur looking to do business in KSA, how formal do they need to keep in mind to be when addressing local Saudis who they don't yet have a business relationship with in a way that, of course, doesn't cause offense? Because I know that for some people, being approached too casually may rub off the wrong way. I mean, again, uh, it depends. Uh, if you're reaching out, let's say, government entities, people tend to use for formal speech or uh, formality in general. Okay, maybe then that correlates well with utilization of WhatsApp because WhatsApp is more casual <laughs> than email. Interesting. Yes. And Nof, is there a difference in doing business between Eastern province, Western province, Riyadh. I know, of course, Riyadh is a bit of a, um, it's it's the financial capital. It's the capital, actually, the political capital as well. So it's a bit of a hotbed of East, West, Central, or all regions. But I personally found in our time in Jeddah, the Jeddawis are very different than people from Riyadh. Is it in my mind or is there a difference in the way people are and therefore the way that you would expect to do business between the different districts? I think uh, the answer is the weather. <laughs> no joking. <laughs> no, I mean... It's all desert, I mean, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Well, but it's more humid in, in Jeddah, Jeddah than Riyadh. So, uh, yeah. yeah, so Jeddah people tend more to do like creative businesses or startups, um, more of, let's say, media, fashion, uh, anything related to design. Whereas in, in Eastern province, in Khobar and Dammam, you can see more of energy, uh, let's say, tech-based. And when it comes to Riyadh, it's the capital. I mean, eventually it will have this and that. And if, if we go to the Southern, let's say, region, um, you'll see the rise of the agricultural technologies because of the weather and um, because of the nature of the, the region itself. So I believe, again, the weather. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, throughout our conversation, we've been referencing the youth and age, and perhaps we should have discussed this upfront. I know that Saudi Arabia has a generally largely youthful population, meaning the majority of the population are age 40 and under, which naturally means that the workforce is a young workforce and therefore the average age of the average entrepreneur in Saudi is quite young relative to other countries. I know for sure that 37, approximately 37% of our population is youth. And I know for sure that Saudi Arabia is tapping on this in this uh, on this segment of people, trying to enable them, trying to help them because they are the ones who are driving the country to prosperity and, let's say, success. Youth are the main pillar of Saudi Arabia. When it comes to uh, entrepreneurship or any different kind of industry. I guess when you have a very youthful population, it's important for the country to invest in its youth because they're the ones who are going to literally lead the country as the majority. And that's what Saudi Arabia is doing. They are investing in its youth. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, with that, thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate having you on as a guest. I hope the listeners have learned a little bit more about Saudi culture, what it may be like to do business from a human point of view. And I really appreciate your views. 
Thank you, Shireen, for having me again. My pleasure. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in today. Don't forget to subscribe to future episodes on your podcast listening platform of choice. And whilst you're there, leave a review and rate our show so that other aspiring innovators can find it. To find a summary of our discussion today and links to our guests, access our show notes by visiting our website, sparkwithshireen.com. If you don't want to miss out on future announcements, subscribe to our newsletter or follow us on LinkedIn and Instagram at sparkwithshireen. Before you go, I'd like to let you know that we love hearing from our listeners. If you have any comments or suggestions for future episodes, including guest or topic recommendations, drop us a message through our website or social platforms. If you didn't have a pen or paper handy to write all this down, don't worry. We've gone ahead and added all these links in the episode description. All you have to do is scroll down and click when you have a moment. As always, thank you for listening and see you next time.